Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here together. It's good to be worshiping together. Um, I got to tell you, as I go along in this journey at Mission View, I will say that I grow more and more in love with the church. I grow more and more in love with you as uh, I try to pray through our directory on a weekly basis. I try to do that. I don't always succeed, but um, that's our heart, even as a leadership team. I'm thankful for the gifts of the body of Christ, and you see it all around you from the time that you enter, people greeting with their cheerful faces, people taking care of your children. You wouldn't really want me to take care of your children because I would be more worried about having fun with them than keeping them safe. So uh, it's good that they're doing what they do. I'm thankful for the, the worship team. Um, I don't know if you realize that, but the song Mystery is a song that Mitch wrote with his worship band, and uh, he's got a goal of writing different songs that go complement our passage, and, and months months ago he started working, and we have our services planned well for the next year, and so he uh, works on the different passages, and you wonder what worship pastors do. No, they don't only work one day a week. Actually, they're very, very hardworking people, especially uh, I almost have to tell Mitch to take some time off. Um, and so I'm thankful for a team that really in invest. Um, I want you to think about something. As we're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 3, you can turn there. But I want you to think about, have you ever tried to do a construction project without a master plan? Now, I know some people are pretty much inept when it comes to uh, construction and doing anything like that. Um, some people, uh, like Mr. Brian Persley, should never have a hammer in their hands. I'm telling you, you might be in that grouping of individuals where you're inept. And, and it, is a, it is a fact. Brian has probably been in the hospital ER room more than anybody else in this room because he's a klutz. He should not have a tool in his hands. Maybe you're in the category of Brian. Brian Brian's, no, there's no shame in this. He's more of a mama's boy, okay? It's okay. Some people are mama's boys and they're designed that way. And, and that Brian really should be careful of the opening illustrations he uses. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. By the way, Brian got sick last week at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I wonder if God was bringing judgment down on his life. I don't know. I'm just kidding. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week's opening illustration. We actually love each other, and uh, it's fun to make fun light of each other. We don't take ourselves too seriously. But uh, have you thought about doing something without a plan? Now, I'm in the midst of a building project right now. I enjoy it. It's kind of a hobby for me. I've got it in my bathroom, and I'm putting in a brand-new bathroom. Back in 2002, I did a pretty major project. I added a 2,200-square-foot addition onto my house for a mother-in-law suite for Virginia. And so it was quite a project. And in doing so, I want you to know that I had to have a master plan. I had to have a design I had to know where my costs were going to be. I needed to make sure I had to make sure I had the right tools. I needed to make sure I had my right contact list because there was plenty of things that I couldn't do. I couldn't put in septic systems or footers or 
or things like that. So I needed to have a contact of different people. Now the important thing about a master plan is that if you have one, then you, it, you do it in order and not in chaos, and you come within a fiscally sound, responsible budget. Now that's why you have a master plan. Now I want you to know on a spiritual level, God has a master plan because we got a God who is a God of order and not of chaos. He has a master plan for this thing called the church, but he also has a master plan as individualized as you each and every person that is a Christ follower. He has a master plan, and I want us to see that today. Our, our outline's pretty simple. God's master plan for the church, and then looking at God's master plan for you and I as individuals. Now remember, we've all come from different denominational backgrounds. Some people have come from a no church background, and instead of us being uh, all these different denominations, as we're going through Ephesians, we're on the alignment rack, and we're aligning ourselves with God's word, and through it, we will be called the church. Not a Baptist, not a Presbyterian, not a Catholic, not a Methodist, not something else. We will be called the church, and I hopefully that's happening, and our mindset will get readjusted, recalibrated to what the word of God has to say. Now, as we start, I want to ask a vital question, because Paul's going to talk about the church. My question is this, how important is the church to you? Now, how important is the church to you as an individual? Not so much in your words, but in your actions. How important is the church to you? It will affect what you give. It will affect how much time you invest. It will, it will affect whether this is a priority on, sun on Sunday. Obviously, it's a priority for you guys because there's a snowstorm going on outside. But it's a vital question because there's a lot of people that have uh, Christ followers that have a, a real different view about the church. I know of individuals that I've met over the years that kind of have this attitude of, yeah, I believe in the universal church, but I'm really not into organized stuff. Okay, because it's made, it's, it's made up of man-made rules and people just have a way of gimping it up. And they're right. There are plenty of churches where it gets gimped up and there's going to be things that are going to be gimped up here at Mission View as well. As long as human beings are involved, there will be mess-ups along the way. Guaranteed. Now recently, there was a guy named Donald Miller that wrote a blog. Donald Miller is a prolific writer. He has a lot of great insight, but recently he posted his viewing of just him personally in regards to the church. And so he shares in a, in a blog a couple different thoughts. He says, he says, I believe that the church is all around us, but not to be confined to a specific tribe. He might be more of the universal church is not hot on the, the local church as much. He goes on and says that church is boring for him. He doesn't really like to go and worship. His preference would be to meet in his own home, to be by himself with his pad of paper or his computer and write and use the giftedness that God has given him. 
He also believes that the church does, has not been given any specific marching orders for the church, but feels that the church was designed loosely by God to be left to the believer to, quote, evolve according to our style, language, customs, and so forth. Now, in a third blog that he wrote, after getting hammered by the Christian community, he does say that he was unwise for posting his uh, approach to the church and that it is far from perfect and is missing the elements of the biblical church um, and the things that the church is to do, that it's instructed to do. Now, truthfully, Donald Miller's comments really don't shock me at all because I've heard them many, many times over the years. Uh, what does bother me is there is a great young adult crowd that follows Donald Miller, and many of them will not check his own feelings against God's Word. But here's my question. What's your attitude? See, a lot of people, even though you may have never heard of Donald Miller, might embrace some of the same mentalities that he has that you kind of can take the church, take it or leave it, and it's not really that vital. But my friends, if you understand God's word and what God has to say about the church, we have to take a different approach to the church. We got to understand that for thousands of years of history in the Old Testament, the church wasn't even a blip on the radar screen. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm bringing about a mystery called the church. It is going to be show the brilliance and the magnificence of God. And when you see that, you will understand my brilliance. And something like that, we can't just take a lackadaisical approach to. The church is the marvel of God. And hopefully today, we'll see that. As we look at Ephesians 3, let's start off with verse 1. And we're looking at God's master plan for the church. He starts off in verse 1, he says, For this reason... Now, for this reason is a little phrase that connects us to the closing thoughts of chapter 2. Of course, the, when they wrote this, they didn't have chapter divisions. So it was his, pat, his, his latest thought. And his latest thought was he was talking about the, that this, we've been built on a foundation, this glorious temple that the Spirit of God dwells, and this, this household is being built up. And Paul is about to break into praise because in verse 14, he says this, for this reason I bow my knee. So he's about to say this, but his thoughts get interrupted in verse 1, and he decides, it's kind of like a side thought. He's like, wait a second, before I praise God, I want to share with the Ephesian believers what my part is in this church. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Immediately he, sh he shares with the Ephesian believers what his role is. My role is to be a prisoner for God for the sake of the Gentiles. Now they knew that this was true because he was writing this from the Roman prison and he was there because of the Gentiles. In other words, the Apostle Paul knew exactly what he was designed for. He knew exactly the mission that God had for them, for him. Now, my friends, I want you to know that he has a design for you. We'll talk about that. Think about that. What is your mission? What does God, what has he designed you to do? We'll think about that in the second part as we apply it to ourselves. He goes on in verse 2. Now, as I go read 2 through 6 again, 
I'm going to ask you to mark or underline a few words. If you write in your Bible, great. If not, that's okay. Just take a mental, mentally underline it. He says this, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, there's word number one, stewardship, of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery, underline that word, that was made known to me by revelation, underline that word. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery, underline, of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, underline, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. Now, let me define a few of these words. Let's walk through this passage quickly. In verse 2, Paul says to the Ephesians, you've heard of it. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Specifically, it was given to me. Something specific was given to Paul, a stewardship, and it was for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, the, the first word is stewardship. That is a compound noun of two words that come together. It's law and house. Literally, literally, it means the law of the house. Now, if we were to put it in more modern terms, it would mean the management of the plan. In today's term, this would be the general contractor who's, in respons who's responsible for a construction project. The person that's responsible to take the blueprints and look exactly what the plan is and to know exactly what is to be built, where it's to be built, how it's to be built, and to do it within budget. Years ago, as I was working my way into full-time occupational ministry, I worked uh, doing irrigation work. In my second year working irrigation, I was made a foreman, and they put me out on a golf course that was being developed. My job was to put irrigation system in a nine-hole golf course. Now, I needed to make sure I had the water lines in the right place. I needed to make sure that the heads, the sprinkler heads, were level with the ground and not sticking up a half a foot so people didn't trip over them. I was to put the rain controllers that c controlled all the different zones off to the side instead of right in front of the putting green. It was, was kind of critical that I got this right because golf was at risk here. Okay, there was a specific plan. When there is a plan, it shows the intentionality of the designer. God is the designer. God gave Paul a stewardship, a plan, a blueprint of the church. We go on in verse 3. He says, he tells us about uh, the details of this blueprint, how he got it, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. The second key word is mystery. The word mystery means a truth that was previously unknown. Now Paul defines this in this passage by saying that the sons of men in other generations did not know what this mystery was. Only the apostles and prophets now were starting to understand it. Now Paul didn't have exclusive rights to this thing called the mystery, which we'll find out is the church. He didn't have exclusive rights, but he had a vital role in being the ambassador to the Gentiles where Peter was the ambassador to the Jewish nation. He goes on in verse 3 and says this, 
This truth was made known to me by revelation. Revelation. The word revelation simply means an unfolding or revealing of divine truth. So here's my question. So when did God give blueprints to the Apostle Paul? When did he lay it out? I'm trying to think of the history of Acts. I'm trying to think of all the scriptures. Does he really give any indication when Jesus taught Paul what this thing was about the church? He actually does. I never saw this before. Take a look at this. It'll be on your screen, Galatians 1. Notice his testimony that he gives to the Galatians church. Notice the words he used. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by man, but I received it through what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, look at the intentionality of God, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. After salvation, this is what Paul did. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned to Damascus, then after three years to Jerusalem. So what did Paul do for three years in Arabia and then Damascus? Well, let's draw a few observations from the passage. Number one, Jesus revealed divine truth to Paul uh, about the gospel he would preach. So he revealed some of these things. Number two, Paul, a man very well acquainted with the Jews, knew what it was like to be called. He says he was, he was destined to preach to the Gentiles. Sounds like God had planned this out before the creation of the world. And then number three, Paul did not consult anybody when, but went to Arabia for three years. Just as God met Paul on the road to Damascus and spoke to him, it is very probable that God spoke to Paul in Arabia. That was kind of his personal discipleship time with Jesus, where Jesus was helping him understand this whole new mystery called the church and how he would be instrumental in bringing this thing about to the body of Christ. And my friends, when you look at the book of Acts and you start seeing Paul in the missionary journeys, you kind of scratch your head and you think, man, it's almost like he knows exactly what he needs to be doing. It's because he did. The Jesus Christ revealed what this unveiling of this church would be all about. Now back to our passage, Ephesians 4, 3, 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He really understands this thing. Why? Because Jesus had specifically given him instructions about this mystery. Then in verse 6, he lays out exactly what this mystery is. 
he says this. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. Now this was a radical thought. Jews and Gentiles. We've covered that in the last two weeks. But what I will tell you is that I would have thought, I think, that the writing of Paul here would have been so radical to the Jewish community. And for them to hear Jews and Gentiles, those Gentile dogs, are, were one? Are you kidding me? We're one? There's no more division. There's no us and them. There's no man and female, female and male, no Jew and Gentiles. Are you crazy? This would have been a radical thought to the people. Number two, we're members of the same body. There's no division here. And he's talking about this household, this family that God is building. It's called the church. This is a, a radical idea. And that it would be through the gospel, partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. My friends, this is showing us the intentionality of God. He was very intentional. Before the creation of the world, he had the gospel on his mind. God was forming something. He had it on his heart. This is what Timothy says. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now has been revealed through the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. So think about this. Before the beginning of time, God knew what our problem would be. He loved us so much that he said, I am going to develop a plan that will help you. And I will provide the only way out. I will provide a Messiah. I will use the Old Testament time to help people understand their need for the Messiah. I'll give them the law so that they can understand that their sins drive them away from God. I will give them prophets to tell them that they need to come to a place of repentance. And finally, I will bring the Messiah. And that Messiah will die upon a cross. He will give his life for the sake of you. It will cost me dearly. But because of my love for this thing called the Bride of Christ, the church, I will do this. And you will be able to succeed at that point. This thing was costly for God. This plan took people. God knew exactly who he would use. He would use Apostle Peter. He would use the Apostle Paul. He would use you and I. And we'll see that in a minute. He was very intentional. My friends, I asked a question earlier. How important is the church to you? Well, now let me rephrase that question. How important is the church to God. How important is the church to God? And my friends, when we see this, we understand that the church is vital to God. This was something that he had planned for. And now we transition into God's master plan for you. Because if the church is vital to God, guess what the church is made up of? individuals, you and I, it's made of the Harrison family, the Marshall family, the Murphy family, and going right down the line. Every single one of us make up the body of Christ. Now compound that by all the churches that are in Akron that make up the bride of Christ. Compound that beyond into the United States. Go into every country, and it is a magnificent bride that God is creating and is continuing to grow. And someday there's going to be a wedding with God where it will be an incredible where every tribe or every nation will speak the praise of God. This is a movement of God that he is doing called the church. And it's exciting. I hope it is for you guys because it is for me. 
And I hope I'm only articulating for you what your own passion is. This is beautiful. But now we got to ask ourselves, what's God's master plan for you? See, when we understand the big picture, we start to understand the individual things that we've heard already. Remember Ephesians 1.4 where he said, He chose us in him before the creation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before, uh, before him. Why? Because he has a mission for you as you're a part of the church. Remember Ephesians 2.10 where, where Brian preached on this a couple weeks ago. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God what? Prepared in advance beforehand that we should walk in them. God planned it before the creation of the world that you would participate in this mission called the church. Then we look at verses like Hebrews and we see that God has something specific for us. Look at this, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The NIV says the race that has been marked out for us. You, me, us, race. God's done it, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, when you run, don't run like a wimp. Loose translation. <laughs> he says, I want you to run as you're going to win. Don't have a, a give up mentality. Run, win, beat your body. Don't run aimlessly. Do something for, that's, that's going to outlast you for me as I have designed you. Now, just as when I did a construction plan and I'm doing a construction, I had to weigh out several things. I had to understand, okay, first of all, do I have the resources to do this project? Do I have the proper tools to do it? And do I have my contact list of people that I can call upon? I want you to know all three of those things are things that God has thought about intentionally for you. For me. I want you to know that he has given us the resources. When you died to yourself and you said, I'm identifying with Christ, I am crucified, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, guess what he did? He said in Ephesians 1:3 that he would bless you with every heavenly blessing in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's resourcing you with in endless tools and endless resources that you are going to need. I want you to know that he has given you everything and that God's well of resources will never, ever dry up on you. God's well will not go bankrupt. Now I want you to think about this. This means that we can never run out of love with which we love our kids and our spouse. Never. This means that we can never run out of joy uh, as we battle through the issues of life. This means that we can never run out of peace during troubled times. This means that we can never run out of patience as we're working with that obnoxious coworker. This means that we can never run out of kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. You recognize all those as what? The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. This is what he's given me. Understand this. As far as God goes, 
the fruit of God, the abundance of God, the resources of God are an endless buffet for you and I. But as far as you and I go, it is up to us to appropriate those gifts and those resources in our lives. I do admit that there are times where people, because of selfishness or our flesh, and I'm included in that, will run out of these things, not because they're not there, but because I don't tap into them. I don't utilize them. I sit down with a couple, and they sit down. They're both believers in Christ, and they look at me, and they say, we've just fallen out of love. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. How is that even possible? How is it possible when you have an endless source of love that is available to you so that you can love your spouse? No, it tells me that you are disconnected from the source of love, God. Or the individual that says, I no longer have joy, and they've replaced it with worry. And my friends, we have that ability to replace peace with anxiety. We have the, the ability to replace patience with irritation, and the list goes on. But please know this, God has resourced us. Number two, he's given us tools. He has given us all the right stuff in order for us to carry out our mission on earth. I'm going to give you four of them. Now, I want you to know that these four are reflected in this little card. If you haven't seen this card, out of curiosity, pick one up. It should be at the Welcome Center, um, but they're just reflected on here. But here's four things that God has given you. First of all, He's given you a story. He has given you a story. If you are a Christ follower, He's given you a story. Maybe it's like the, the blind man in John 9. All you can say is, I once was blind, but now I see. If that's all you can say, he's given you a story. Now let's clear up something. There are some people who say, well, you know, I really, I really don't have a good story. You know, I really didn't live a really rascal life. I mean, where I was just so rebellious and I got into drugs and I got into alcohol. I, I am all these bad things. Bob, we shared your testimony a couple weeks ago. Would you have rather not to have that story? Okay, would you have rather had a Blaine story where you were saved at an early age? It would have saved a lot of headaches. My friends, there's no bad story. What we need to do is we need to embrace it. We need to learn it. We need to tell it. That's the first tool God's given us. Number two, God's given us a responsibility as a priest. That's a tool. We've become priests. Now, this is kind of confusing to some people because they see Pete, Steve in, in modern-day terms as the pastor or the minister. But I want you to know that that's not God's design. That's a man-made thing. We've elevated the pastorhood, the pastor responsibility to such a level that we say, he's the man. My neighbors think that I have a direct line to God. I do. They do too. They don't realize that yet. But I'm not the man. The pastor's here. Yes, we show honor, but I am just another person in the body utilizing the giftedness that God has given me. He has given all of us the priesthood. Look at what it says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Do you know how radical this was for Jews to hear this? Because they only thought of the high priest or for the priest that would make sacrifice and for the apostle Peter to say, you're all priests? 
Are you kidding me? What are we to do? We're to be a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Like Brian said last week, there's no longer us and them. It's, it's we. God has created the we so that we can do the work of ministry. And what God is doing is he's empowering each and every one of us to do ministry. Sometimes, and I understand why you do this at times, but there's times where someone will get into a situation where they're witnessing with somebody. And, and they start to share their faith and they're like, you know what? They kind of get cold feet and they're like, I need to have you talk to my pastor. I need to have you talk to my pastor. You are the pastor. You are the minister. You're the minister in your workplace. Don't, I, I don't do well in coming to gas and oil. I mean, I can, but it's not going to do any good. I don't do well in the bank. I don't do well in wherever your occupation is. I wear scrubs at times. I, well, I don't really wear scrubs, but when I visit people in the hospital, I put on blue gloves and say, come on, I'm going to pray for you now. They don't like that. <laughs> I want you to know, you do a better job at where you are. You do a better job. You don't want me in that position. You want me doing what I've been called to do. You're a priest. You are to be used of God where you are. That's a tool. And when we do that, it says that in Matthew that lost people will glorify God in heaven because of the works they see in your life. So you're a priest. Number three, he's given us a spiritual gift. Now can I just say, confession-wise, that we have really gimped this one up over the years. We have really gimped up the whole idea of spiritual gifts. Look, listen to what Peter says. Peter says this, each one should, should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administrating God's grace in its various forms. Everyone should use their gifts. Do you realize that God has given you a gift of leading, of encouraging, of helping, of speaking, of teaching, of administrating, of mercy, of shepherding, of discernment, of going out and planting churches, of, of sharing your faith, of having faith for a reason? We are, we are, we are, we're used to being taught in church, and maybe you grew up this way, where it's like you hear applications of spiritual gifts, and, and the application is, now I want you to serve in the nursery. I want you to serve somewhere here in the church because when you do that, you're serving God. And it wasn't like they, were mis they weren't deliberately saying, hey, you shouldn't serve outside. The, the mindset of the pastor genuinely was, if you're serving, you're serving here. But my friends, think of how we serve. Some people are on rotation where they serve twice a month. Do you mean twice a month, uh, two days out of 30, that you are to work for God? God worked six days and rested one. We are to work every single day utilizing the spiritual gifts. What if we were to flip a switch in our mind and think that the spiritual gifts that God gave us were primarily for the place that we spend the majority of our time? What if you, if you are the setup person and the gift of helps person at church, what if all of a sudden you took that same mentality of what you do at church and you do that in your workplace? And all of a sudden you're helping out and you're serving in that way or you're administrating or you're leading. My friends, 
That's how God has designed us. The gifts are to be used in every single day life. Peter doesn't say serve those in the church. He says serving one another using our spiritual gift. My friends, this is a tool. And the final tool that he's given us is fruit of the Spirit. We already talked about it. But let me tell you how important it is. The fruit of the Spirit makes our gifts compounded. For example, I might, be, I might be sweeping and I might be serving at work, but I, I'm swearing like a sailor. It just takes something away from my service. But if I'm showing joy in the fruit of the Spirit with my service, it compounds my impact. My friends, God has given us the resources. He has given us the tools. And he has given us the contact list as well. Do you realize that that's why we have each other? We have each other at Mission View because we need each other. And not just only at Mission View, but also the chapel in North Canton. We are also the, 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 the church, New Point Church. Also the different churches that are in the area, Maranatha Bible Church. All these churches are part of the body of Christ. And you know, there's times where I have to call on people where it's outside of my realm. There's been times I've called on Dr. Mike Misha to help in the area of counseling, to help me in an area. There's times where I call on the deacons who really have an ability to serve, to do something. This past week, I called on some people that have the gift of encouragement because I got to tell you, I stink at it. I can verbally encourage, but writing a note is almost like a prison sentence to me. It's horrible. But for some people, that is like, they love doing it. And I called in Judy Saner as my Judy Saner, Virginia Smith, my mom, Rosemary Marshall, Lori Dross, and Andrea Albader. They're kind of the, the E-team, the encouragement team. They're, to be, they're kind of undercover, and they're looking who they can encourage each and every day. That's their job. That's what they want. They love doing that. We call on God's people. So think about it. God, very intentional. Planned before the creation of the world had the church on his mind. He put it upon Paul and said, this is what I want you to do. I'm giving you specific instructions. And you're to develop this church. And now, decades down the line, here we are as a part of this thing called the church. And he says, I want you and every single person who is a Christ follower to be a part of that church. As we close out our service, I really want you to think mission. I want you to think about the mission that God has given you. And that's why we're having an emphasis this month on our mission march of what our, our current missionaries are. We're going to try every week to let you know of the different missionaries that we have and let you know more about them. That's why we want you to see what's happening at Whitewood Village. But we also want you to see what's coming in the future in ways that we're going to help. You'll see a regional Aaron Youngren and Robert Rodriguez. These are two church plants, one in Chicago, one in New York. We're going to take a long weekend mission project to both of these, one in May, one in July. Hopefully you'll be a part of that. But this is a part of our mission. And as uh, Mitch and the guys come up here, I want you to think about the mission that God has given us. And I do want you to know that at the end of this month, we're going to ask that you would prayerfully consider being a part of the mission. We have de designated and committed by faith that we would give $45,590 to missions this year. 
and we're going to commit every dollar that comes in on the last Sunday to help fulfill what we're planning to do. Now, that's 9% of our budget. I do have a praise to give you. This past week, or two, actually two weeks ago, we received a gift of $25,000 that we are to use any way we want. The mission, the, uh, the elders have prayed about it, and we have committed every last dime of that to missions. Because we're not going to just speak it, we got to live it. And we're doing that above and beyond the 9%. We feel this is doable for us. This is our responsibility. So we're going to add that above and beyond because we want to see children's homes developed, uh, children's home developed in, uh, in Thailand where little girls could be rescued from being sex trafficked out. I want to see that, don't you? I want to see that. There's a big mission for us to be a part of. Think about that in our closing song.